Hello and welcome to the Minnesotan Pod today. Today we have a sort of Minnesotan joining us on the pod, David Stockdale, the head coach of Franklin Pierce, a school that loves young women from Minnesota playing in their program, and we're going to talk about him, his background, his love for Minnesota players, and his growth of the program at Franklin Pierce. Hope you enjoy today's show. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is exciting. Um, when I saw your team was on the schedule here in the Twin Cities, I'm like, jackpot! <laughs> we have the guy behind the program that continues to add Minnesota girls. I mean, it just seems like you're going to have an all-Minnesota team. You're going to be called Pride <laughs> on Ice pretty soon uh, out in New Hampshire. Um, thanks for being here. I'm excited to learn about you. I'm excited about your career path and uh, hear about, you know, what what's what's in the in store for Franklin Pierce the Ravens oh well awesome I again I appreciate you having me and looking forward to talking about our program and hopefully having a good conversation all right so we talked a little bit I wish I'd have done more research I'm <laughs> usually do better at this but you're gonna be my research here sure. today um, I'm gonna learn a little bit about you and then I want to talk about college hockey for women okay. uh, the new ha all the other things, but I think just in talking to you for 10 minutes, I'm fascinated by how you got here because it's not a traditional path to Division One women's coaches. If you look at all the rest of them, you look at the, th the fraternity or sorority, whatever you call it, of 37 head coaches, your path is already different than the ones that, that I've seen so far. So um, let's learn a little bit about you. Where did you grow up and uh, how did you get into hockey? Yeah, so I grew up in the Washington, D.C area which you know at the time it wasn't really a hockey hotbed I think it's come a long way uh since I was a little kid but in the mid 80s you know you only had a couple of rinks there wasn't a whole lot of hockey I just happened to see a game on TV and said I wanted to, to do that and next thing you knew I was skating and and playing and you know at the time like my high school as I got older my high school had almost 2,000 kids in it I was you know one of two that played hockey so it just wasn't a super common thing down there at the time it was a very different path um, you know I had I had some great coaches but you know a lot of them were were you know, maybe they hadn't played at the highest levels themselves. And I really, you know, I didn't have the hockey education in the sense of, you know, what, what college hockey and junior hockey and how all that stuff worked. So it was, you know, it was a very different experience. I had a great experience. I, I did learn a lot and I think it prepared me well for, for where I am today, but uh, probably not the traditional path that you see for a lot of kids, you know, growing up in Minnesota or Massachusetts or, you know, more traditional hockey markets. So you told me your, your parents were teachers and you're an only child. Um, what was their athletic background uh, to where you could just tug on their shirt and go, I want to play hockey. I mean, there has to be some openness to athletics. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess first and foremost, they were just extremely supportive and, and wanted me to be able to do uh, anything that I wanted to do. So they were great in, in that regard. Uh, my mom was definitely not an athlete, um, a great fan, uh, but not an athlete. My father played basketball. Uh, in college, uh, and then was a high school basketball coach when I was a younger a younger child. So I did have some exposure going to the gym and things like that when he was coaching, uh, and, and got to kind of be around it from that perspective. Uh, I think that probably ended when I was in fifth or sixth grade. So I was pretty young, uh, but I think they're they're kind of you know there was a little bit of that element in the household. So I guess it's not shocking that. So I it's in your blood a little it. bit. Yeah. Um, what did Dad think when you wanted? puck skate stick instead of hoop you know <laughs> basketball shoes and ball yeah. no he was he was totally fine with that and I think that having probably been in coaching and, and dealing with crazy parents and stuff like that himself I think you know my parents were pretty grounded in the sense that they didn't want to be that person so they were they were always supportive always positive they never you know they never 
were the ones causing problems in the stands or, or, you know, talking bad about other kids or doing any of that kind of stuff. Like they were just super positive, happy to be there and, and, you know, made sure that I had every opportunity that I could. So were there other sports in your arsenal besides hockey growing up? I, I dabbled, um, you know, as a little, little kid, I, I think I wanted to play lacrosse and I was, they, they said I was too young. So I think I played soccer for a year. That was, that was not for me. <laughs> uh, eventually did end up playing lacrosse into high school. Um, but ultimately hockey was the sport that I was really passionate about. And you said you went on to play one year of club hockey at UNH. Yeah. And oddly enough, the, the women's program at UNH was a wagon at the time when you were in college talk about what you saw and yeah. how you got into athletics and how you got into it I mean not not the coaching that's the next yeah. question but how did you kind of get wrapped into to college hockey well I was I was fortunate as a student at UNH it was really kind of a golden era of UNH hockey on both sides the men and the women uh, I think the men went to three frozen fours while I was there uh, the women were extremely talented and won a ton of games as well uh, so it was just it was very exciting to be able to go to the games and see a lot of really great hockey and you, you were dealing with, you know, national level teams on, in both genders. And so there was just a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, great crowds, uh, obviously a lot of a lot of great games. So it was just it was a fun thing to, you know, be a part of even as a fan. There was must have been some type of light bulb. Uh, what was it? Was your education uh, in education for your, <laughs> towards education like your parents? Uh, not at first. So I started out actually, believe it or not, as a zoology major. Uh, mm. I couldn't tell you why. Um, I guess I kind of felt like I had to pick something, and I yeah. didn't really know what to pick. So that was what I picked, and learned very quickly that biology and chemistry and those things were not for me. Uh, so I ended up as a sociology major, which, you know, not, not education, but I think there probably is a lot of application to, oh, yeah. uh, to, to group dynamics and working with people and that sort of thing. So, um, maybe indirectly it, it kind of, kind of led me to where I am. But, um, if you think about a college women's or men's team is a sociology experiment <laughs> of all time, isn't it? It, it can so talk be, about yeah. the, the demographics yeah. of kids and yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so when did the, the light bulb go off and, and I know what happened, happened at UNH something, you saw something or something hit a triggered you to, Hey, I want to get involved somehow in this. Cause your letters to coaches is epic. If you yeah. ask me. So, yeah, so obviously I went to a lot of games. Uh, my roommate at the time was a photographer for the athletic department. So we were we were just at games because he was working, and I, I loved hockey. I wanted to go to games. So went to a lot of women's ice hockey games. Obviously the teams at UNH were, you know, very, very talented. And, and just being at the games and meeting parents and, you know, watching the different teams, you know, not just UNH, but the teams that came to play them. You know, it was obvious to me that there was a ton of talent but I felt like, you know, some of the structure, some of the skill development, some of that stuff just wasn't there. And I felt like as somebody that loved hockey and wanted to get back into it, you know, being out of it for a couple of years as a player, I think really pushed me to wanting to get back into the game. Uh, and I just felt like, you know, knowing that I didn't really want to coach little kids, I wanted to coach higher level athletes. And I thought I could maybe bring something to the table. So I was I was willing to just kind of take a chance and, and reach out to coaches and, and see if there was an opportunity for me to get my foot in the door. So tell me what you did. I mean, this had to be like old school. Was it paper letters or were you sending <laughs> emails in the early 2000s? You know, that's a good question. I, I Honestly, I think it was paper letters. Um, and, and so I reached out to every coach uh, of every school, uh, Division One, Division Men three, and women, right? Just women. Okay. Just women. Um, and I reached out and said, you know, this is me. This is my background. Um, I know – you know, not a Division One hockey player, um, but, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'm a pretty smart guy, and, and you know, I'm willing to come, and I just want to learn. I want to get my foot in the door. I want to learn. I want to I wanna work. I don't even care if I get paid. Um, I'm willing to volunteer. Uh, and so I sent that out to, I don't know, probably 70 or 80 schools, and I heard back from maybe seven or ten different schools and was able to go and interview with several coaches. And, you know, that must have been a good experience right there. Yeah, it was it was nerve wracking because I mean those were really my first kind of real real world job interviews. So uh, going in to meet with these people that were in positions that you know I guess I kind of aspired to be in someday was certainly certainly nerve wracking when you're 22, 23. Years Do you remember old. anything specifically from any of those interviews that would be interesting, or just uh, maybe just a big name or? Uh, yeah, I mean I I there were several 
names that I met with. One I won't mention because they actually didn't show up for their interview. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I was left sitting there. Um, that was that was tough. But uh, um, one one who was great and it was it was awesome. I actually ran into him in the rink this year. He's coaching a men's team now, but Bob Duraney, who was at Providence at the time, uh, was just a great guy and uh, always very supportive. Um, I ended up at Maine, so we were ended up coaching against him, but, you know, he's just been a really good guy for the, the 20 years, so it's always fun to, to bump into him at the rinks. But, yeah, I, I met with a bunch of different people. Some were interested in kind of having me as a volunteer. Some wanted me to be more of an equipment manager and learn how to sharpen skates and drive the Zamboni. Because these were um, needs. These were needs that they had. Yeah. Uh, but that really wasn't what I was looking to do. Uh, and so, ultimately, I ended up at the University of Maine with Rick Filigera. Uh, who's now at Cortland, uh, but he was at Maine at the time, and he invited me up to work his camp. Uh, so it was a good opportunity for both of us. I got to make a little money. I got to kind of show, you know, myself on the ice and what I thought I could bring to the table. He got to kind of spend a week working with me and kind of feel out, you know, what our chemistry was and how we could work together. And, and the thing that was really appealing about that job at the time was they only had one full-time assistant. So uh, even though I was going to be a volunteer, I was still going to be able to recruit and kind of get my hands into some different things that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do at a school that had two full-time assistants. What was women's hockey recruiting like uh, in a very early internet age and uh, at the University of Maine in the early 2000s? Compared to what it would look like today, I mean, probably not that different. More more players now um, than there were 20 years ago. Um, you know, one thing that's different: I don't have to print out MapQuest directions uh, <laughs> when I go on trips to, you know, from from the hotel to this rink and this rink to this rink and that rink back to the hotel. I don't have to do that anymore. Thank God for smartphones. But uh, I mean, honestly, not that different. I guess probably I'm a little bit more comfortable now. I you know before I take probably too many notes on kids and now I've kind of learned what to look for and you know I can make it a little easier on myself which is good all right so how many be between that first volunteer job to getting hired at Franklin Pierce how many volunteer jobs <laughs> did you have along the way it's not like yeah. they're like, oh yeah and yeah. then next year you almost got hired for, for pay within a year, I mean, but it didn't work out, right? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I was at Maine as a, what they called a restricted earnings coach, which was just a fancy way of saying a volunteer that could recruit. Um, and then from there, I went to University of Southern Maine. I made, like, $2,000 there. Uh, as a then, paid or restricted uh, earnings? Uh, uh, well, Southern Maine didn't have a full – they were a D3 school. They didn't have a full-time okay. assistant, so that was just their stipend for an assistant coach. So uh, I was I was there. Smokes. I was living living with a friend of mine and – you know, doing doing some odd jobs and some substitute teaching, things like that. Uh, obviously hustling a lot of camps, doing that kind of stuff in the summers. Um, you know, and, and very fortunate, again, privileged to, to have family that, uh, you know, I, I was going to do what I could to make as much as I could, but, you know, if I ever got in trouble, they were there to help, which was, was phenomenal because I probably wouldn't have been able to get where I got to um, without that support. But, yeah, so I was at Southern Maine, and then I was at Castleton State College, which was a uh, – a crazy stop because I went as an assistant coach. That was actually a you know as an assistant coach probably the first time I made decent money because I was working. What was the name of the school? Castleton. Castleton. It's now Castleton University. At the I've time. never heard it. Was, of it. What city? Where is it? What state? It's in Castleton, Vermont. Okay. A little, right. little town near Rutland, Vermont. Uh, so I was I was an assistant coach there, and I was working the overnight shift at the campus safety office uh, as like a full time job. Uh, but then we got five games into the season, the head coach resigned. I took over as the head coach. It was a part-time head coaching job, so I was still working the overnight shift at Campus Safety. Uh, I'd get out of work at 4 a.m. I'd drive over to the rink. I'd open up the rink because we'd have practice at 6 or 7. I remember the, the training room, the little training room we had, there was a – like a training table on it and you could take the the pad off of the table so I'd bring that over to my little office I'd throw it on the floor lay down for an hour wake up we'd have practice and then I didn't have an assistant coach so maybe I'd go recruiting or something during the day and then I'd drive back and I'd be back at work at four o'clock uh working, working four to four so um it was a crazy crazy year uh so I did that for a year uh and then I was actually determined to get out of coaching and do something else because that just that wore me down uh, and so I, I moved to Maine. It was the old, I, I took a wrong turn, right? Yeah, and I so got to get out of exactly. this, right? So I, I moved to Maine. I bought a house. I was working at AAA. <laughs> and I got a phone call from Phoebe Manchester, who was, had just been hired at uh, Chatham University in Pittsburgh. And she said, I got, I got some money if you can come help me recruit. 
And I, you know, I wasn't loving working at AAA, so I said, "What? What the heck?" What were you doing at AAA? I was a dispatcher. Oh no way! Yeah, so so I left there. I went to to Pittsburgh, and you know, recruited for her. Got her a group of kids in there. They hadn't won a game in six years when we got there. Uh, We won. We won one game that first season when I was there, and then we brought a bunch of kids in, and they did pretty well the year after that. Uh, so I started grad school so I could stay a second year there. So I you know, was making part-time money there as well, um, you know, picking up odd jobs and stuff again, working at the community center and doing stuff like that. Um, you must have a healthy resume of jobs. Yeah, well, yeah, I've done a few things. Uh, and then actually from there, that was kind of when I got my first full-time job. I got the phone call from – uh, Dan Lichterman, who uh, actually is from this area, um, played at St. Thomas, and then um, he was at Maine as the head coach at Maine. So he called me up while I was at Chatham, and I had actually known Dan since I was in high school. His first job out of school, he was running a rink in Virginia. Wow. And, yeah, so I, I, I had worked camps and stuff for him when I was in high school, uh, and fortunately I wasn't too much of an idiot. So he had gotten he had gotten a job at Mankato as an assistant coach around the time I started coaching at the NCAA level too. Uh, and so he got his first head coaching job at the University of Maine, and he needed an assistant. So he called me up and said, hey, you want to come work for me? And so I went back to the University of Maine. At that point, I was, I guess, six years in, and that was my first full-time job as a coach. And how did things go with the Black Bears the uh, second time around? I mean, it was great. We had a we had a good staff. We had a lot of fun. Uh, after that year, Dan ended up resigning, so I ended up moving on again. Uh, and ultimately, that was that was when I ended up at Franklin Pierce. So he resigned. You're kind of out out in the middle of nowhere again. You're all kind of alone. Like, what do I do? Right <laughs> at this point, where people you a known commodity where you could probably got another job or was there some, was there another um, maybe trip back to AAA? Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe uh, I, you know, at that point, like I knew I was ready um, to, to, to be able to run a team and the opportunity came up at Franklin Pierce where they were starting a program. And I, you know, I felt like I could definitely do that at that point in my career um, because, you know, I'd had a lot of experience, all these schools I'd been at, I'd been able to recruit, I'd been able to, you know, do budgets. I'd been very involved. So I knew experience wise that, you know, I was in a position to be able to move on. It was just finding the right opportunity to be able to do it. And then Frank Pierce fits in perfect for you. You had been all over yeah. New England. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'd been in Maine and Vermont yeah. and, yeah. you know, you had, you had mastered the Northeast <laughs> corridor, right? You've been everywhere, right? I, I had. And, and you, you didn't know, need MapQuest by no, that, right? No, I, I was pretty well versed in, in all the major highways throughout New England, which was, was good. I mean, it was, it was a tough road going to all these different schools, but at the same time, I mean, you got to, got to kind of take it for what it is it was a learning opportunity at every single school there were different schools that provided different things there were different challenges at each place where you had to kind of think outside the box and learn how to get creative and you know we're still in that same position at Franklin Pierce we have 1100 students we don't have the resources that some schools do but we have everything that we need to go out and be successful sometimes you just got to get a little creative right right all right we'll get to that here so (laughs) so you get there um Sorry, dumb question. Were you uh, when you first started the program? Was it to, to, to be Division three? Yeah. So actually, your division. Now this is the whole Division two, Division three, yeah. Division one. I, I don't really understand. Yeah, so sure. educate me a little bit on that. Okay. So Franklin Pierce is a Division two school. So the majority eleven hundred students. Yeah. Yeah. That seems crazy. Yeah. That seems pretty aggressive for eleven hundred student school, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they've had a lot of success. Their baseball program's been very strong. They won a bunch of national championships in women's soccer back in the nineties. Um, so there is some some athletic history at the school, which is, okay. is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so Division two school, obviously in the sport of ice hockey, there is no Division two. So at the time, there were a handful of other Division two schools and even a couple Division one schools at the time that were. Uh, effectively running Division three programs, they were following Division Holy three Cross rules. was one of them. Holy right? Cross, Sacred Heart. Right. Um, so they were they were not giving scholarships. They were following the D three rules. We were all well, Holy Cross, Saint A's, Saint Mike's. We were all part of a league together with a bunch what was of it Division three. Uh, at first, it was the ECAC East, and then it became the New England Hockey Conference (NEHC). So you're playing all D three schools, correct? But you have as the NCAA, well, you have all these. Uh, advantages of a division one like holy cross come on that school's got plenty of advantages right 
I mean, I don't know. I've not, I, I wasn't working there, but I know they weren't giving scholarships and no, stuff at correct. the time. So, so we had these schools. We were part of this league. You know, we did well in the league, but the, the, I guess the catch was at the end of the season as Division Two and Division One schools, we weren't allowed to play in any kind of postseason. So, you know, our league had 10 or 12 teams. They would just take us out of the standings. They would reseed everybody, and they'd have their postseason tournament, and we weren't able to be a part of it. Uh, same thing with the national tournament. No matter – we could have gone 25-0, and 0 and we wouldn't have been able to participate in any kind of postseason tournament at the Division Three level because we were not Division Three schools, even though we followed the rules. That okay, followed. that's just where I, I mean, is, did that make it hard to build a program when you didn't have postseason? Um, yes and no. I, I think, you know, there's, there's certain teams that are in that mix every single year of going to the national tournament, and then there's a lot of teams that are a long way from getting there. So we were obviously, we were able to, uh, to sell our vision for our program and, and be able to get kids in there where we could be successful. I, I didn't find it to be that much of a hindrance. You know, maybe we weren't going to be the best team in the country because of that, but, you know, we were able to put together a pretty good program. And basically put together an experience, right? Yeah. For the kids. Exactly. So when, at what point uh, was it, was it you pushing it or was it the, uh, the students pushing it? Was it the administration pushing it? Let's, let's just, yeah. Or was it a collection? Like, hey, the Holy Cross is in Sacred Hearts going, hey, let's it's time to move on. We gotta yeah. we gotta move up. Well, I think at that point, Holy Cross, we knew they were a couple years away from going into hockey east. Um but there was an opportunity. You had post that was starting, you had LIU was getting ready to start. Uh, and I think the administrators at all of the schools kind of collectively understood that you know, as, as athletes and as people that put as much as they do into their sport over such a long season, like they, they really wanted the athletes to have an opportunity to have a postseason experience. And that wasn't going to happen at Division Three. The only pathway to having that was to start a quote unquote Division One hockey conference with D1 and D2 schools and be part of the because it's national collegiate which means it's open to division two schools since there is no division two uh so by playing in a league with other d2 and d1 schools having those games count as division one games obviously playing our non-conference games against division one schools um you know we're able to have a a, a league and have a two-year waiting period and eventually starting this spring have have an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament i can't wait for that tournament That'll be one of the coolest things ever. That's kind of like what the Atlantic hockey was in the early 2000s, right? It's, Do you feel that a little bit? It's very similar, um, you know, and, and I know – I don't know a whole lot about that league, but obviously I was around – I was kind of in the early stages of my coaching when they were first kind of starting. And, and you know, for a while I think they probably were, were not viewed on par with the other conferences and, and – you know, over the last 20 years, I know they've gotten to a point now where everybody's fully funded and, and they've had some huge wins in the NCAA tournament and that league has grown and, and, you know, year by year, brick by brick, they've gotten better. And I think it's it's kind of the same thing with our league. You know, it's a, it's a longer term sort of view. Um, you know, we'd love to get there in one year, but it's probably not going to happen. It's going to be a process of, of many years and, and, you know, we're building our league. We have Stonehill coming in this year. We have Assumption coming in next year. So our league is growing. Uh, but, you know, just kind of coming along together and getting everybody to a place where, you know, whether it's two, three, five, ten years down the road, hopefully we're viewed as, you know, just another Division One hockey conference and not, you know, the new right. conference. <laughs> right. So you kind of can – you have a vision uh, of you, using Atlanta hockey, Atlantic hockey as a, as a template. You kind of have a vision. What is your vision? How long do you think it will take for you guys to, to get the right – people into franklin pierce is this a five-year thing or is this it's it's obviously after the results with st thomas last night you know that and that's a division yeah. one it's like you see you got a little you still got some 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 distance on that mountain to climb sure how many years do you think it is before you guys get there i, I don't know i mean we've we've shown we can be competitive with division one programs we we won a couple games last year we you know we split with uh with Union and with Holy Cross last year, we tied UNH, um, you know, so we, we've, again, we're a long way from where we want to be ultimately, but I think we've done a good job to get to a place right now where, you know, we've shown we can go out against really good teams and compete with them. And, you know, we were one, one with BC in the first game of the year with 13 minutes to go. Like certainly, you know, from a talent perspective, we're not on par with them yet, but you know, we've, we've, we've put ourselves in a position where if we play well and we do, kind of, you know, have our structure and do the things that we talk about doing, you know, 
a bounce or two can go your way and anything can happen. So, you know, certainly in five years, I think we're going to be a lot better than we are today, but you know, we are a heck of a lot better than we were when we started this process. You use the word fully funded. I like that. It's everybody can understand what that means. <laughs> Currently in division one men's and women's it's 18 scholarships. Yeah. How many do you guys have? Is that public information? Can you tell uh, me that? We don't have 18. I'll say that. <laughs> um, Is it nine? Uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sorry to, but, it, but sorry again, to laugh. I love yeah, the look on yeah, your face. Yeah, um, you know, again, I try not to get too held up in that. Obviously, the more scholarships you have, it, it helps in recruiting for sure. Um, I, I don't think there's any question about that. But you know, again, my if I spent any time of my day worrying about the things that I don't have, then I'm not, we're not going to get anywhere. So we focus on the people that we have, the resources we do have, and we're making the best of that situation. And part of my job as a coach working with my administration is just trying to educate them on the things that we need to, to be able to build this program and get better. And again, day by day, brick by brick, we get a little bit more. This is my first year where I have, you know, two assistants. Uh, they're graduate assistants. They're not full-time, but they are full-time. They work right. They work their tails off for me, uh, and I'm so thankful to have them. Uh, but, you know, we're making little gains every single year, and, and as long as we can kind of keep things moving forward, eventually we'll, we'll, we'll get where we need to be. All right, sorry to pressure you too yeah, much. That's okay. How do you get fully funded? I'm not – that sounds like a dumb question, but yeah. how do you get there? Yeah. I, I don't know. You really <laughs> don't know? That's that. I mean, that's question for the administrators. They got to find a way to. Is there like someone that the development department <laughs> does that kind of stuff for I, you? I mean, if you if you know anyone with a lot of money to write a check, that there would you probably, go. That would probably help. Be but, a good start. Um, you know, we're we're a very small school. We have eleven hundred students. You know, we don't have Big Ten football. We don't have, you know, some of those things mm. that other schools do have. And and again, we can't worry about that we just have to to do what we do and you know and it's true like I, I do believe it may sound cliche but I do believe that you don't win with things right you're right. gonna win with the people that you have and um, you know the people that that are here in our program believe in what we're doing and they care about what we're doing and they give everything they have to be the best they can be and you know like I said it's we're not where we want to be but we're, we're really proud of where we are um, we have our first clip now. I like okay. that. That was awesome. Oh, I'm just giving you crap. Um, so talk about the, um, the progression of your program. I mean, you, you're early on here. Where does it go next? What's the next steps to like, oh, you know, like from a, a mile post, what's the next mile post for you guys? You have your conference, you have your ability to, to make it to the tournament. What are some things from you as a staff that would be the next yeah. thing that you guys are getting to? Um, I think that uh, obviously getting into the NCAA tournament would be awesome. We were fortunate to win the conference last year, uh, but that was the second year of our conference waiting period. Um, our conference essentially playing together for two seasons before we were able to get an automatic bid as a group. So last year was our second year. Um, so I think being able to win the conference again and be able to get to the NCAA tournament where we can be on that stage uh, and hopefully go out and, you know, represent our school well. Um, I think that would be a big thing, obviously, from a recruiting standpoint and, and those kind of things. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I mean, the way you build your program is through recruiting. And so to have those opportunities to market ourselves is, is really important. So that that leads me to the, the potentially the most controversial question I'll ask you today. And, sure. and I want to get to it because it's, it's a fair question. Yeah. And, the, and the level of listener to the show may be somewhat educated, not educated, or clueless about how this NCAA has added is it like nine teams it's like a nine team tournament uh, uh, no it's I believe 11 11 yeah I knew it was an odd number yeah. thank you and it wasn't 12 and it yeah, wasn't yeah. eight or wasn't 10 so yeah. 11 thank yeah. you now we're at 11 teams which is a, is, a, is oddly an odd number but we won't get to that later but <laughs> um, explain to me the good the bad the ugly of that right I mean I think there are some coaches tell me if I'm wrong I think yeah. there's some coaches out there and maybe in some of those big 10 schools you're, you're, you're alluding to that don't like the fact that there's a new ha automatic bid but aren't they also the same ones who benefit from the extra teams in the tournament yeah and I'll say you know you bring up the big 10 I wouldn't say by any stretch that they all feel that way there may be some and I'm sure there are some in our sport that feel like our our conference isn't yet at a place where we're competitive enough to have earned that opportunity Uh, but I think there are also a lot of coaches that kind of see the big picture they understand that without our league 
the tournament probably hasn't expanded to the to the extent that it has. So even with us there, they're still you know getting more opportunities than they would have if this was still an 18 tournament. Uh, so it is good for everybody and and for our league to continue to grow and build. You know we need to have access to those opportunities. If there's if there's you know something for us to to strive for and achieve and to be able to get on that stage and sell that in recruiting and you know that that is something that we can use to continue to grow and continue to build in the recruiting process and if we if we're shut out of that if we don't have that opportunity it's going to be very difficult for us to to ever get to a place where we can be competitive on that level so uh it, it is something that you know are there are there going to be teams not in the tournament that probably from a competitive standpoint are better than us quite possibly, most likely maybe. Uh, but, you know, it, it is an important step for our league to have that to be able to grow. I, I know your answer is yes to the question, can you see a new hot team winning an NCAA game? Could you see a new hot team winning the NCAA tournament in your lifetime? In my lifetime? Uh, well, I hope to have another good 40 years or so. So, yes, I, I would hope so. <laughs> All right, I like it. I, I just think there's it's such a David and Goliath. Yeah. From a you know from a facilities and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. Quick question, sidebar: Is there a men's program at Franklin Pierce? There is. All right, and do they play more of the hybrid D three? Yeah, so so they have. I, a, I know they're not D one. That's why right, I asked. Yeah, so they have a, a Division two league that I think is six teams right now, similar um, to what you guys were for years. Kind of, except that they actually they don't have D three schools in their league. It's just Division two schools. Um, so they have like a little postseason, and I mean, there's not really a national tournament or anything. Uh, they supplement their schedule with a lot of games against Division three schools. Got it. Yeah. Got so it. the the difference, obviously, on the men's side, it's not coined as a national collegiate tournament it's strictly a division one tournament all right now here's so a question here's a question who do you split the ice i mean you guys are d1 so they should probably take a back seat to you right no um is it pretty even uh no we've got a we've got an awesome coach on our men's team sean milrick he's been there for the last five or six years and we have a great working relationship we, they've got their thing that we do we've got our thing that we do um and then we're we're we skate out of the winchenden school which is a boarding school so they've got their i don't know how many teams they have at winch now they've got probably five or six teams so so that's pretty much there's not a lot of like youth hockey traffic or other teams coming through there. It's mostly just the Franklin Pierce and the Winchenden school teams. And, you know, Winchenden's great to deal with. And, and Sean on the men's side. Like, there's no ego. We're not, we're not you know, one-upping each other. I think we both want the best for each other's programs. And, you know, it's good to, you know, you want to have a hockey school. It's good to have two good teams. Yeah, I just you see all these the NCAA women's sure. basketball thing. I'm like, I, I kind of want to see the reverse <laughs> sometime. I think it would be fun for yeah, me to see yeah. that. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the school itself sure. so someone doesn't know anything about the school um how do we get there if you're from <laughs> minnesota how do you get there where yeah. you, you fly to boston yeah so one of the cool things is that we're probably an hour and a half or less from like five airports so give me give me a couple so you, boston, boston right logan right boston providence hartford manchester new hampshire and the, probably the smallest one would be western massachusetts but uh yeah boston boston typically like when i go recruiting things like that i'm generally flying out of boston but you know you'll get you'll get people that will fly into any of those so i mean just from a sheer hey come check out our school you can yeah. also get a little bit of boston mm. you can get some lobster and some chowder and see the paul revere's trail and also yeah, come yeah. up see probably see a handful of other d1 schools that yeah. are nearby so yeah. they're going to be able to check some boxes yeah. for an expensive trip yeah right? you'll definitely like in the summer kids will come out to play in tournaments or whatever and maybe after the tournament you know they'll spend that next week bouncing around to different schools and you know going on tours and that kind of thing it's definitely a, a, a common thing that you would see. i'm just trying to get you on that list right i mean <laughs> I, I there was a story uh isla rice camp was playing she's a sacred heart she was just playing a tournament in boston and headed over there and she's like i fell in love with the school and then mm -hmm. it, and then hockey worked out yeah you know that that's I mean that's a classic example, yeah. and I'm sure this is happening for you as well. Oh, yeah. There you're 100%. getting kids playing out there, and they come check you out. So yeah. I just and it's hour and a half from Boston. Uh yeah, probably about an hour and twenty minutes. Okay, like like anything when you're dealing with Boston, it's all traffic. <laughs> yeah, dependent, once you clear Logan, <laughs> it's an hour and fifteen minutes, right? right? Okay, exactly. got it. Yeah, everyone knows what that means. If you've been there. All right, so uh, tell me about it. Is it a, a liberal arts school? Um, dorms, what's on-campus yeah. living like? Yeah, it's uh, it's a liberal arts school. Uh, 
pretty much everybody lives on campus all four years. It's well over 95% of the students are on campus all four years. So, um, Is it all campus housing? Yeah. So yeah. is there like hierarchy? Like we freshmen live in the crappy yeah, dorms, yeah. seniors live in the, the <laughs> palace kind of thing? I'm guessing. Exactly, yeah. So the yeah. freshmen are living in a very typical freshman dorm. Um, you know, one thing that is nice, we don't, we don't do any forced triples. So there's no uh, throw a third bed in a room built for two people, which is nice. But, right. Uh, but yeah, sounds so like this is happening somewhere. Uh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, so sophomore year, we've got uh, most of our sophomores are living in like suite style housing where you've got, you know, five or six rooms around a common room and a kitchen and, and then juniors have apartments and seniors have townhouses. So it's every year you move up in the world a little bit. And as a senior, you go and live in a townhouse on the lake. So that's a pretty cool thing. Well, that does sound cool. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's talk about your focus. You're focusing on, you know, obviously you focus on Minnesota as a recruiting base, at least half your team. Or is it, is it how are we doing? Are it's we probably, at 11? I think I counted 11. I think we have, I don't know the exact number, but I think we have about two thirds that are Minnesota or Wisconsin. And several of those Wisconsin kids have ties to Minnesota, uh, playing at Gentry, playing at Shattuck. Um, right. You know, one girl lived with her grandparents in Egan and played for Egan. So, Correct. Um, so even some of those guys have ties to Minnesota, even though they're not necessarily from Minnesota. So yeah, it is a, a big, portion of our team uh and i would say like when we were a division three school we tried to recruit out here we didn't have a whole lot of success um we did get one girl alex brolsma who played at, at bloomington uh came and she's actually the the leading scorer in the history of our program so she had a very successful career but we we kept trying to get the next one and the next one and we had a lot of kids visit we just never you know we didn't have we didn't have scholarships we didn't have the ability to sweeten the pot enough so uh, but when we made this transition to Division One, we knew this was an area we were going to have to invest a lot of time in, uh, and and obviously we've spent a lot of time out here, and you know we've made a, a big effort to to try and recruit players from this part of the country just because there's so many good players out here. All right, I want to. That's where I want to like roll up my sleeves and <laughs> we've been out here. When you say we've been out, when do you come here? Where and and what time of year are you here? What what are you looking at? Yeah, uh, oddly enough, for me personally, I've never seen a girls' high school game in person. <laughs> that was what I was gonna say because um, it's hard. Yeah, so it's it's after and, our season, and it's the whole seven seven views in the season versus yeah. off season. You can watch as many, right? Yeah. So you're gonna go to the big events yeah so well it's tough to being a head coach right like I've got my own team on campus so I can't go recruiting as much during the season um you know we had an off weekend last weekend so I actually was out here last weekend to go to the elite league right um my assistant coach is coming back next weekend to go to the NIT yep um but you know for me as a head coach like you know if if we're able to go to festival in the spring obviously some of the OS stuff in the summer come back for national camp, you know, so, um, so stuff like that, mostly kind of in the off season, uh, that we're able to get out here and, and see players. Do you think, um, uh, what's the word like travel words travels fast. So you have success with two Minnesota women, mm -hmm. then that can multiply to four to six. Is, is that part of what the, is it? Is that what the success ratio is, or what do you think that the secret to success is getting yeah. those Minnesota players? I think there's, I think there's a few things at play. I think for us, a lot of it is just the investment that we've made. Uh, but I think, you know, like you said, you know, somebody comes out, they have a good experience, they talk to somebody, you know, maybe somebody that had never heard of our school. Now all of a sudden, maybe we're on the radar, you know, because they have a friend that came out and played for us or that sort of thing. The other thing, oddly, that I think is kind of contributed I guess because um, it, it like my my intention has always been to just have the best team I don't care where the kids come from really right uh, but when COVID and everything happened um, obviously out here they had a, a shorter season but they still played and we were stuck on campus we weren't allowed to go recruiting for I don't know 15 months something like that with uh, the NCA shut down all all recruiting so the only thing we could do was really watch things on YouTube or on live stream and they were playing out here Versus and, the and East Coast wasn't. The East Coast, those kids play club teams or, you know, the high schools weren't playing, you know, that kind of stuff. So there was, you know, nothing was really happening with kids out there. So, you know, you get to 23, you get to 24, and you're trying to be like, okay, who, who are we going to recruit? And a lot of the kids that we had seen were out here 
just because they were playing. And so it, you know, has taken the better part of the last 15 months since we've been able to get out on the road again to really kind of get back to a place where there's some balance between the kids that we've seen. And, and you know, we've had enough opportunities to evaluate kids playing in New England or in even non-traditional hockey markets where they have teams, you know, Dallas and places like that where they, they come out to tournaments, Michigan. Um, you know, now we're finally back at a place where I feel like I've seen those kids as much as I've seen the kids from Minnesota. What's the difference? Is there a difference between players in certain t- parts of the country or whether maybe even Canada? What, do you see something that's different? And I'm not, this is, I sure the Minnesota show, but yeah. uh, what do you like about kids from Minnesota? What do you like about kids from the East Coast? Was there something? Yeah. I, I've seen a few. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to pick up some tendencies of my own that I'm seeing that a Minnesota kid does and East Coast kids do. What do you see out there? Yeah, I mean, nothing is an absolute. Um, right. I, I think one thing that I've really liked with the players that we've been able to recruit from out here is just the the skating. I think they're generally very good skaters, uh, which was an area, you know, when you're transitioning from Division Three to Division One, you, you got to be able to get around the rink. So I think they've they've definitely, some of our best skating kids have come from out here. And I think, again, it's just a product of how much hockey there is and, and how many opportunities there are for girls out here to play and to get skill instruction and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you think... Uh, let's just sticking to that topic. Do you think that uh, uh, because I mean I, I hate to say it, and, and I'm part of the problem. So um, we are saturated with hockey in Minnesota. I mean, we're talking 340 days out of the year. There's an opportunity, and and, and some might argue there's 350, 60 <laughs> days of the year where you're saturated yeah. to play and train. Do you see that? In the rest of the country, I know I can speak for that in this part of the country. This state here, the other 49 I can't really speak yeah. to. Do you see that in other parts of the state, a country? or For sure. Or is it here too, no, just for, only here? For sure. It, it's just, I mean, it's maybe different. Like some of the club teams that kids play on, you know, and sometimes they're playing 80 to 100 games a year. And, and you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, you want to go and you want to be able to evaluate, evaluate a kid at a game and see not only what they do with the puck, but how they play without the puck. You know, are they... Are they a cerebral player? Are they going to the right parts of the ice? You know, it's hard to see that sometimes in a practice. But obviously when you're practicing, you've got the puck on your stick a lot more. And you talk about skill development and those kind of things. Those opportunities happen a lot more in practice than they do in games. So I think there's a, an imbalance maybe between the amount of competitions and the amount of practice time that teams have. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that I, I do. I think that goes on everywhere. And then, and then some kids in the summers, they're going to showcases and things every single week. And it's like at some point you just got to take a break. <laughs> if, you're, if you're good enough, you're going to be seen. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about that. Um, and and I, I'll just give you a, an example. I was co- and this was 10 years ago. I was coaching an all-star squirt team that my son was on. And little Johnny made a mistake or something. And yeah. then I said, hey, little Johnny, uh, I was trying to correct him. Yeah. And he gave me, and this is a 10-year-old kid, right? <laughs> and, you know, he gave me the shoulder shrug, slump, <laughs> dead stare, right? Yeah. And that's the first time as a coach that it ever happened to me. I would, I've been coaching 10-year-old football, 10-year-old baseball, and then no 10-year-old had ever done that to me before. And the reason I bring it up is there's a point where a human just hits a wall, Right. And, and and do you see that even at the college level, but not necessarily on your team, but do you, you must see it even at these national camps and oh, yeah. you see it at these showcases that the kid, you can just tell they're they're talented, but they are just yeah. killed. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and that's part of it. Like and that's one of the big differences when you get to college. Right. Even if you're playing on Friday and Saturday, you got you got a 60 minute game and you empty the tank and then you do it again tomorrow, then you got five days to recover, right? And then you go to a youth tournament and you're playing five games in a day and a half, you know? And I think that even subconsciously, even if it's not intentional as a player, it's like you're holding something back because you got four more games in the next, you know, 24 hours. And and I think when you get to the next level, sometimes it's hard to get out of that. Like you've really got to learn how to, you know, every single time you step on the ice, you're emptying the tank. There's nothing to hold back for you can't afford to and, and you yeah you definitely see that these kids they play so many games in a weekend by the end of the weekend it's not worth watching because it's just not even hockey anymore right <laughs> yeah there you go um walk me through the the recruiting process um when you like when franklin pierce is recruiting a player um are you looking because there is no junior hockey mm-hmm. 
I hate to use the word expire, but like a, a, a 2023, for example, as we do this interview, they are about to expire. Like, like literally, they, they don't have, maybe maybe they can do a gap year, they can mm-hmm. do a prep school year, a bonus year, whatever you want to call those years, yeah. um, post-grad year. Um, other than that, I mean, like, is there, like, like men's hockey, they're 21. Um, do, do you see that as a wave in the future because of these extra years of COVID for coaches like you, or are you looking for the, the 24s and 25s and the, and recruiting younger? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to be recruiting 24s and 20, obviously we can't physically recruit 25s right. yet, but evaluating and mm-hmm. getting prepared for, for June 15th. Um, you know, we're, we're still recruiting 23s, you know, I'm sure there's some schools out there that maybe have a spot left, you know, think things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've definitely. I, I hope we don't end up where men's hockey is. Um, but and I think you know I've got what a couple more years of the COVID fifth years and that sort of thing. Hopefully that washes out. But I think this is sort of a, a normal recruiting timeline. You get to this point in you know your senior year, it, it's time to be honest with yourself about where things are going to work out. You know, like um, if you don't have the opportunity that you were hoping to find at division one, there's a lot of great division three schools and the hot, that's the thing. Hockey's come so far now. There's so many great opportunities out there and there's a, a right fit for everybody. You just have to have an open mind and, you know, maybe it's not the school you dreamed of, but if you go in with an open mind and, and, and work hard, you're going to love your experience wherever you end up. So I guess it, not that you're asking for my advice, but I think for kids that are kids that are, you know, maybe in that position right now where they don't know where they're going to end up and they're not really sure, like just, you know, have an open mind and, and love whatever opportunity comes your way and it'll be, it'll work out for the best. All right. So oh, I don't know how many hours away we are from, from Minnesota. Um, would you say, let's just say, let's talk about your investment into Minnesota recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you watch of Minnesota kids every winter, every summer? Mm-hmm. I mean, is this is this hours and hours? How do you how do you keep track of it all? <laughs> it, it's tough, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, this is an area that's been really good to us. the The investment we've made has certainly paid off for us, and so we wanna we wanna continue building upon that. So. You know, between me and my assistants, we're, you know, not necessarily out here at the same times, but over the course of a year, probably eight or ten times that we find our way out here to, to different events and to evaluate kids. And, you know, my, my assistant coaches, the last couple of years, I actually had an assistant coach that was from Minnesota, so she could come out and go to the Christmas tournaments and do that kind of stuff and see them in high school season. And, you know, I would see a lot more stuff kind of on the, the outside of the season. Um but yeah, I mean, it, this is, I believe, an area for us. You talk about having, you know, niche areas that you can recruit. This for us is an, an area that we want to spend time and invest and, you know, be able to bring kids out to our campus and show them a great experience playing college hockey at the highest level. Uh, in Minnesota, even eighth graders for that matter, you get eighth. You, basically, it's a, a ninth through twelfth league, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in the rest of the country, you can watch a U16 game and see really good players that fit into the recruiting area. Then you have U19 or U18 or whatever you want to call it on the, on the rest of the levels. Is it hard for you to gauge, like, uh, this player looks really good in Class A Minnesota, for example, and then yeah. this girl looks really good at 19U, but I'm not sure how good that league is. Like, you know, like a Little Caesars 19 with Sims and all. Yeah. They just kill everybody. Like, how much can you learn right. – Comparing, like, and Minnesota the same way. If you go watch one a really strong double-A team who gets a weak conference opponent, like, did you learn anything? Yeah. How do you do – I'm curious because I evaluate players for a living, I yeah. guess, yeah. and I don't know sometimes when I watch yeah. it. And from a friend to friend, how do you do it yeah. as a D1 coach? Well, and that's why you, you got to see kids multiple times because you do run into some of those situations where you've got just an overmatched opponent and, you know, the score may end up 10 nothing. That doesn't necessarily mean there's not anybody on that team that lost that can play uh and and so I guess I guess kind of the balance that you have in Minnesota is you've obviously got your high school season where some kids are going to play on stronger teams some kids are going to play on weaker teams but then you've got you know festival and some of those other opportunities where you know some of the OS showcases where you can see best on best I guess you know players playing against other players at their own level uh that maybe aren't it's not their high school team you know it's kids from all over but you can kind of see 
you know, this kid who maybe plays on a team where they don't touch the puck a whole lot in high school because they're overmatched, how do they how do they fare when they're playing with those other kids? You know, so you get an opportunity to see them, you know, playing with and against players that are at their own sort of level and, and really evaluate how they do in those situations. And I think same thing with like the U nineteen teams and that kind of stuff. You got a team like Little Caesars, you can't go watch them play a team that they're gonna beat ten to nothing. You gotta watch them go play another another really good team to to really understand again, like obviously the puck skills are there, but what are they doing away from the puck? How are they gonna how are they gonna handle adversity? You know, you don't see any of that stuff if they're playing a game where there is no adversity. Right. That's true. Um, is there something you're looking for uh, for a player? I mean, obviously, you, find, you said the skating was really good. Yeah. What are some of the things you're looking for? Like that, if we can get more of that, we can compete with the bigger schools. Yeah, you said the word. You got to be able to compete. Uh, and it's 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 not just on Friday and Saturday. It's it's every single day in practice. You, you've got to be able to compete in practice. You've got to be able to get. You know, outside of your comfort zone, because that's that's how you're going to improve. You've got to be able to, you know, push your teammates in practice or they're not going to get better. When we go, you know, if we ever given an opportunity to play the Gophers or play Wisconsin, like they're not going to go easy on us. So if we're not pushing each other every single day in practice, how are we ever going to get to where we need to go? So that that compete level, just that intrinsic desire, I guess, to 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 get out and work hard and play and compete is, is something that's really important that we look for. Is playing here in the game against St. Thomas the other night, is how important is that from a scheduling for you guys? Well, it, it's kind of a neat opportunity um, because we do have so many players out here. Um, the crowd was awesome. We just unfortunately didn't give them a whole lot to cheer about yesterday, but we had so many people there supporting us because we do have so many players from this part of the country. And uh, so it was, I think, special for us to be able to come back and, and – I guess reward them, you know, for believing in our program and, and coming out and being part of it to be able to take them back home to play in front of their friends and family was kind of a special opportunity and a unique opportunity, but also, again, understanding that this is a place that we want to continue recruiting and building our program to be able to come out and, you know, market ourselves and hopefully put up a good performance, uh, you know, that was a, a good opportunity for us as well. And I'm hoping, you know, tonight, hopefully it goes a little bit better, but, um, you know, I think looking at those things, it was, it was kind of a no brainer for us when we had the opportunity to try and come out here and do that. With having so many division one schools in the state and this being a recruiting hotbed, do you schedule wise, is, is this a priority to come out here? You think? Um, it definitely scheduling is weird. Like yeah. you, there's so many, from their from their conference, your conference, all the other thing is, is it, is it rare for this thing to happen, or do you think could you see yourself coming every year if you could make it happen? Uh, I mean, I'd love to come out again. I don't know if it'll be every year. Like one of the things, being in New England, we've got so many schools that are are very accessible. So right. it is it does take a lot to kind of put a trip like this together. Um, but again, just just understanding whatever the number is, I know we were trying to figure out earlier, but whatever the number is, how many kids we have from Minnesota, Wisconsin, this part of the country, I just thought it was really important to, you know, a bunch of them are seniors this year. They've been in our program for four years. I thought it was really important to try to do this while they were here and, and really, um, you know, as a way to just kind of, again, say thank you or reward them for, for coming and being part of our program and giving them the opportunity to play in front of their, their friends and family, which is something that they gave up when they came out east. They didn't, they didn't have that opportunity to, to do that at home, and now they do. So that's kind of a cool thing, I thought. Did you, have you done any recruiting while you're here? Uh, no. You have our, our, our schedule's been super busy, so I really haven't, uh, haven't just, had any time You're just focusing that. on hockey. Yeah, we're trying to make the, the operation kind of run smoothly while we're here. So, yeah, get everybody where they need to be on time. We've actually – so we're going to skate four times. We skated on Thursday. We skated this morning. Uh, obviously played yesterday, and we're playing tonight. So um, we've, we've been on the ice. We've been going to, you know, team meals and doing all that kind of stuff. So our, our schedule's been pretty packed. Well, I appreciate all the time you gave us today and, and learning more about you, your your background on this thing. Anything else you want to just wrap it up with here today if you want to make one last pitch to us Minnesotans <laughs> about why Franklin Pierce is a place a, a young woman would want to attend?
attend college and play hockey for you. Yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, I, I appreciate you having me on. This was a great opportunity and, uh, you know, really excited to have the chance to talk about our program and, and our school and all those kind of things. But, you know, the state of Minnesota has been amazing for us and, and it's given us a lot of really talented players. And, um, you know, I, I hope they've really enjoyed their experience. I think they have. Uh, and like I said, I hope this is a place that we can continue to come for, for many, many years. And, you know, when we finally do hopefully get to the mountaintop in my lifetime, uh, hopefully we'll have some, some Minnesota girls that are a part of it.